Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Oh, you know, it's a good lefty protest when they break out the guitars and start singing, don't you? You just love that. That was at the Fight for 15 protest outside the Marriott here in the Byward Market today because the Liberal government has already announced that they're going to hike the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Now they're doing consultations to see what people think, and the protesters want $15. When do they want it? Now! Because people shouldn't have to work three jobs to make a living just to pay one extra bill. Yeah, well, if you're working three jobs to pay one extra bill, my guess is you've got other problems than that. Meanwhile, and we'll talk more about this later on in the show. We've got MPP Lisa McLeod ready to drop by to talk about this. She was at the hearings today. She's saying, well, hold on a minute. This is going to hurt small businesses, especially, but businesses big and small across the province. People like Paul Murphy from Calabogie Peaks Resort. You all know Calabogie. They, they've got skiing in the, in the winter. They've got boating and cottages for the summer. And what's this going to do to him? This legislation or proposed legislation has come on way too fast. And the magnitude of the increase is too steep for us to be able to deal with. I don't know what he's talking about. How can you possibly increase wages by 32% and have any fallout? Oh, Wait, yes, increasing wages by 32% would have a fallout, wouldn't it? It would, including when you've got the Bank of Canada raising interest rates. So if you're a small business uh, that is floating some of your deliverables, if you're floating some of what you're owed, you're going to be paying more, just like you will for variable mortgages. And we'll talk about that with Frank Napolitano from uh, uh, Mortgage Broker here in town later on. But Stephen Polos, the governor of the Bank of Canada, said they are moving the prime overnight interest rate up to 0.75%. First first move upwards in seven years. Says it's all a sign of a, a very good economy for Canada. The economy clearly no longer needs uh, as much stimulus as we've been giving it. Uh, but at the same time, we, we're, we're letting you know that the, the world has changed enough in recent years, in particular indebtedness of households and so on, that the economy may behave slightly differently compared to the average behavior over time, i.e. what's in our models. All right. That is the big worry for Stephen Paulos and the Bank of Canada. But the big worry for me And we could start in so many places. I could open the show just talking about this minimum wage hike. We could talk about the Bank of Canada hike as the opening of the show. We could talk about Donald Trump Jr. And I know an awful lot of shows have been talking about Donald Trump Jr. We could go back to Omar Cotter. And in fact, I I will drop back in to talk about Omar Cotter and give you an update on the Spear Kids campaign, which currently, let me just bring this up. It was at $117,000 earlier. Where is it at now? $118,304. Thank you. We'll talk more about that later on. But I want to talk to you about something you are not hearing elsewhere, and that is how crazy some of the people that want to lead this country are. The NDP is in the middle of a leadership race, and it'd be tough to tell because are people paying attention? But if you remember back to the conservative leadership race, well, in that race, it was 
constant. If somebody said something slightly conservative, the media would howl, oh, my word, they, they actually believe in property rights? Oh, how could they? Oh, that I can't believe they think that. I don't even think that I have to say anything about the NDP. I can just play them in their own words. Here's Jagmeet Singh answering a question on dealing with First Nations people in Canada. Uh, one of the things is we need to confront the Canadian legacy of genocide that has been perpetrated against the Indigenous people, both direct and cultural. Genocide. All right. That's a good place for someone that wants to be prime minister, uh, prime minister to start. Genocide. Nikki Ashton responding to a question in French. What parts of the Canadian economy does the government not run that it should? This is the opposite of a conservative leadership race. Uh, what In the conservative leadership race, you'd say, what's the government doing now that it shouldn't be doing? And the list would be rather long. With Nikki Ashton, you know, typical socialist, she's answering in French. I'll just play a short clip. But basically, she wants to start nationalizing the banks. Une banque postale reconnaissant que oui, il faut s'attaquer à la corporatisation dans ce secteur et il faut donner l'opportunité aux Canadiens de pouvoir utiliser ces services d'une façon que on bénéficie aussi. She wants to start a postal bank. Let's have Canada Post run a bank for us. We already have credit unions across the country. We've got a lot of banks and competition, and it drives prices down. Overall, things are good. How cheap is money? Well, it's so cheap that banks have tried to find other ways to make money. They're not making money off loaning it to you because rates have been so cheap for so long. But don't worry. Nikki Ashton wants us to have a government-run bank. She also wants the government to buy all of our prescription medications for us, not just talking about pharmacare. She wants it to be a bulk purchase so that it's cheaper. Oh, great. Just like how it takes you weeks to see your doctor, now it can take you weeks to get your medication. Other crazy things that they were saying? Well, let me play one of the questions that was read out to you or read out to them, and then I'll explain what it all means. The Regina Manifesto, which was adopted by the founding convention of the Cooperative Commonwealth Federation in 1933, launched the forerunner of the modern NDP. What's one piece of that vision that hasn't yet been realized that you think remains relevant and a priority today? The Regina Manifesto, a document that called for the eradication of capitalism. I'm not joking. It actually did. They wanted, and I quote, a planned and socialized economy in which our natural resources in principal means of production and distribution are owned, controlled and operated by the people. It later said no CCF government will rest content until it has eradicated capitalism and put into operation the full program of socialized planning, which will lead to the establishment in Canada of the Cooperative Commonwealth. I love socialism and central planning, don't you? It works so well. Just ask the Venezuelans. We've got an obesity problem here in Canada. Imagine how we could wipe that out if we just went the Venezuelan model, get rid of obesity by denying people food. You know, they've run out of food in Venezuela. They just don't have it. And so people are losing weight. There's a double benefit. Doesn't cost the state as much to feed the people because you don't have any food and they lose weight. Huh? And then you just put Jenny Craig and all these other weight loss places out of business and which helps you eradicate capitalism. These people running to be leader of the NDP are true radicals. 
Not a single one of them denounced the Regina Manifesto. Not a single one of them said, actually, that went too far. The NDP walked away from the Regina Manifesto in the 1950s. These guys were asked about it. They all said it was a great document. They all praised it. It wants to get rid of the capitalist system and replace it with a central planning socialist state, which, as I said, has worked great in Venezuela. It's it's worked great in Cuba, China, Soviet. Actually, it hasn't worked anywhere. But don't worry. They want to keep trying. And Jagmeet Singh, star of the race for the media party, the same people that think that the deal with Omar Khadr is great, love Jagmeet Singh. They love him down in Toronto with the, the, the media party in Toronto. They just love Jagmeet. You know what he wants? He wants your money. He wants your money. Why? Because he believes in wealth redistribution. He's not talking about a new social program. He's actually talking about taking money from one person and giving it to another. I believe that right now we have a responsibility to stand up for redistribution. People have wealth. And they need to give that wealth to those. They need to transfer that wealth to those who are living in poverty right now. That's a fundamental principle. Income transfers are very different than social programs. I, I, what? I, I, I don't know what to say. Let me play part of that again. People have wealth and they need to give that wealth to those. They need to transfer that wealth to those who are living in poverty right now. That's a fundamental principle. Income. People have wealth and they need to transfer it now. Um, says who? By the force of what? If I work 50 hours a week and somebody else works 10, do I have to give them money? I'm not talking about people that are unable to work. I'm not talking about people that are down on their luck. He's talking about give over your money now. This is insanity. How much are you hearing about this? Nothing. Nothing. I'll tell you why. Because most journalists are more likely to vote NDP than conservative. They generally lean in the liberal direction, but you are more likely to find a new Democratic Party supporting journalist than you are a conservative party supporting journalist. After near 20 years of working in this business, across the country, I can say without hesitation that this is the truth. And then people will stand up. That's not true. That's not true. How can you say that? Well, because I work with you all. I listen to you. I hear what you say. I hear how you criticize government policy. And so they're not going to go out and criticize the radicals in the NDP because they don't find this radical. They think giving people property rights or talking about getting rid of supply management, that's truly radical. Getting rid of a quasi-socialist system that supports some farmers but not others is completely radical. Now, if you're a dairy farmer, you love supply management, you want to keep it. But if you're a beef farmer, you might be sitting there saying, why Why do those guys get protected? What about the pork farmers? They might be saying, why do they get protected and I don't? That's the reality of the system. We can argue about it. We can debate. But talking about getting rid of supply management is considered radical. Talking about getting rid of capitalism, apparently not, except here and except with regular people like you, the same people that would have told Angus Reid if they had called you for the poll. Yeah, I don't like this Omar Cotter deal. You'll notice that the media and the people are on complete opposite ends on this. Almost entirely, the media party apparatus supports the Omar Cotter deal. And the people, regardless of where they sit politically, say, I don't like this. 
I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Good to be back at night. We got a full show for you. Don't go away. If you're watching on Facebook Live, do join us for the rest of the show. You can listen in at CFRA.com. You can download the iHeartRadio app right now, always free, Apple or Android. Best talk radio stations and music from across the country. Back after this. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Get some FaceTime with Brian. Join the resistance at Facebook.com slash 580 CFRA. May I have your attention, please? Brian Lilly's Five Things You Need to Know. And the number one thing you need to know, the story that you're not going to hear anywhere else, the NDPs are radicals that want to take your money and give it to other people. I believe that right now we have a responsibility to stand up for redistribution. People have wealth and they need to give that wealth to those. They need to transfer that wealth to those who are living in poverty right now. That's a fundamental principle. Income transfers are very different than social programs. And all four of them in stage in Saskatoon last night uh, endorsed the idea of the Regina Manifesto, which calls for a centrally planned socialized economy. They simply do not have a grasp on the fundamentals of economics. Now, speaking of folks without a grasp on the fundamentals of economics, a lot of people out today calling for a hike in the minimum wage. Yasser Nakvi telling folks that uh, they thought about it long and hard, meaning about two days before they decided to go this route. Sean McKenney, president of the Ottawa District Labour Council, is out there saying this is the right way to go. It's the only way to go. People that are making $15 an hour are not going down south. They're not going to the Bahamas to spend their money. They're spending it right here in our community. Well, well, where all of us will prosper. Except for the people that are going to lose their jobs. As I have said and explained time and again, rushing up to $15 an hour from $11.40, where the minimum wage is now, a 32% rise in less than 18 months is going to lead to less work for those at the bottom. Not more, less work. This will lead to more automation, fewer McDonald's cash registers, fewer Loblaws cash registers, manned by people. You're going to see folks simply cut back on hours. The study out of Seattle showed that They lost 9% of their income, $125 a month for low-income workers. That was the loss. They got a pay raise and did not see their monthly income go up. So for everyone that thinks I'm being cruel-hearted in saying, I don't like this idea of a hike in the minimum wage, that you don't think that I, you know, you think I just want people to stay poor. No, it's the opposite. I want people to make good money. But a minimum wage job is not what you raise a family on. It's not what you build a life on. And increasing it is only going to hurt the people that they claim it's going to help. Stephen Polaz, governor of the Bank of Canada, announced interest rates went up. We all expected this. It went up from 0.5 percentage points as the overnight lending rate to 0.75%, a 25 basis point rise. 
Pola said that interest will go up again, but he wasn't ready to say when. So, you know, people need to understand that in the in the full course of time, I don't don't doubt that interest rates will will move higher. But there's no predetermined path uh, in mind at this stage. It's a, it's a data dependent uh, quarter by quarter analysis that we'll be doing. We will speak with mortgage broker Frank Napolitano about this shortly uh, to find out what it means in real dollar terms. Frank's got some great numbers, and we will talk about that. Story number four that you need to know about, Donald Trump Jr. has made sure that no one can ever say that they never talked to the Russians in the Trump campaign ever again. I think it's a little bit ridiculous and overplayed, and I think people are getting that. I think the media has really done themselves a disservice by picking sides so flagrantly. Well, they had done that, Donald Jr., and then you released your emails showing that they said, hey, we've got a Russian government crown attorney coming over, and she's got dirt on uh, Hillary Clinton. Do you want to meet her? And you wrote back, love it. That is the problem. It's your emails now that are the problem, not the media. It's. It, I agree they overplayed it. They overplayed their hand as they have time and again, but now the problem's you. Story number five, just a fun little one, Sidney Crosby. It's his birthday, his 30th birthday on August 7th, and that's the day that he also has the Stanley Cup. There happens to be a parade in his town of Coal Harbor, Nova Scotia on that day. So, uh, you know, it's looking like he's going to take the Stanley Cup home for a little parade. I'm not sure yet. I mean, the Natal Day Parade is uh, uh, is on the Monday there, the 7th. So uh, we've kind of thrown that, that idea around. I uh, just want to get as many people as possible to see it. So, um you know, that, that seems like it'd be a good fit. So if you're thinking a road trip to uh, Nova Scotia this summer, August 7th might be a good day to be in Cole Harbor. That's all I'm saying. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Cons- uh, progressive conservative MPP Lisa McLeod up next. Beyond the News, the nighttime edition is back. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. You must never cross a picket line. You must never, ever cross a picket line. Blah, blah, blah. Really? That's what you're seeing outside the fight for 15? Trying to get a hold of a conserv- a progressive conservative MPP, Lisa McLeod. My understanding is she may be uh, in hearings still. The hearings, uh, the consultation hearings that started this afternoon continue, I'm told, next door to this building. At the Courtyard Marriott. So if she calls in shortly, great. If not, we'll try and have her on later on. But at least we we know where she is. She's next door listening to people say that they need a, a $15 an hour minimum wage now. Because people shouldn't have to work three jobs to make a living just to pay one extra bill. You know... I've got a lot of thoughts on the minimum wage, and I say this as someone that worked at minimum wage jobs for far too long that didn't figure it out. 
or just needed extra work. I remember at one point I was starting a business and I was working from home and I needed a couple of things. One, I needed a, a little bit of extra side cash, help with some bills. Two, I needed to get the heck out of the house because if you're if you're working 10 hours a day at home on starting a project, you never leave your little home office and it can become crazy. And so this was, I was well past when I should have been working minimum wage and I took a job helping run a, a second cup here in town. I know all about working for minimum wage. But increasing it by 32% is not going to help the people that they claim that it will. Doesn't matter what Sean McKenney says. Sean McKenney from the Ottawa District Labor Council makes it sound like, hey, we just give everyone a pay increase and they're going to spend the money here in town, and then we all get rich by people getting $15 an hour minimum wage. People that are making $15 an hour are not going down south. They're not going to the Bahamas to spend their money. They're spending it right here in our community. Well, well, where all of us will prosper. We're all going to prosper. Maybe you can be there to shake my hand. Maybe we'll be there as we share the land, as we all live together. It's time to give up that part of the guess who, man. Economic realities are something different. Economic realities and a $15 minimum wage right now, a 32% increase, simply do not make sense. Not now, not ever. The hearings today, Paul Murphy is from Calabogie Peaks. He made it clear that he will have to cut his staff by 15% if this goes through. This legislation or proposed legislation has come on way too fast and the magnitude of the increase is too steep for us to be able to deal with. It's a lot like, um, what was, last name's Miller. Let me just try and find the clip. I was playing it yesterday on uh, the morning rush when I was filling in for Bill Carroll. I think it's Shannon Miller. She's with uh, Miller's Farms here in Ottawa. And... They said, look, we we are not ready to do this. We will have to change how we operate. We cannot absorb the cost of a 32% wage increase for people at minimum wage. We can't absorb that cost, and we can't pass on the increase to our customers that quickly. There will be changes here for sure, and whether that has to come in the form of reduced hours or... I mean, in the extreme case, we may have to just shut down our whole retail and just do simply wholesale. It's going to come down to an individual household decision as to how much it's worth to you to to have access to this safe, quality food that we grow in Ontario. So here's a, a thing that they're not thinking about next door right now, that Yasser Nakfi and Kathleen Wynne and all the liberals are not thinking about. They're not thinking about what this means for people like Shannon Miller. They're being told they're going to have to pay this $12 an hour minimum wage, which will drive up their costs. And they're competing against imports from places like Chile. I'd say Venezuela, but they're socialist in the way that Yasser Nakfi and Kathleen Wynne want to be socialist, so they have no food. But let's pick a, a low, low-cost low place. Have, have you tried garlic from Chile or from China? Sorry, not from Chile. Garlic from Chile is fine. Garlic from Spain is fine. Mexico, it's all fine. But if you tried garlic from China, it tastes disgusting. 
I've tried it for years, and I've tried it from Farm Boy, from Loblaws, from Metro, wherever. It does not taste the same. But if you're growing garlic here, and there are garlic farmers in the, the market garden farming sector, there are people that are growing garlic, and then they're trying to sell it to stores here, and they're going up against cheap crappy garlic from China. They're going up against garlic from Mexico. They're going up uh, against garlic from who knows where. Places that do not face the same wage increases that our farmers will. And when you're talking about people that are doing seasonal work in retail or in picking, guess what? That's not a job that's going to be paying you $30, $40 an hour. So yeah, it's going to be on the low end will always be on the low end for those jobs. But you just made that that process a heck of a lot more expensive. But don't worry. Yasser's thought all about this. He, he's thought so much about this that it was only this spring that his government put out a news release announcing that the minimum wage was going up from $11.40 to $11.60 in October. And that they, they praised themselves for having taken the politics out of it. And they said that this was the planned increase that they had, you know, so that businesses could plan. And then just weeks later, they came up with the $15 an hour minimum wage plan. But don't worry. You can trust Yasser when he tells you he's thought about this. We feel that an, an, an increase from $11.40 uh, to $11.60 this October, as was originally planned, and then to $14 on January 1st. And eventually $15 by uh, uh, beginning of uh, 2019 uh, is is the right transition uh, period. Okay, key word in there. I want to play it for you again. Key word, feel. We feel that, we feel that, we feel that, we feel that. We feel that. Is that a way to base economic policy on your feelings? Because I can tell you this, and we confirmed this with... Uh, uh, Julie Renisky from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, they've asked for the economic impact study from the Ontario government on what the a 32% increase in the minimum wage will mean. There wasn't one done. They didn't do one. They don't think they need to. But don't worry, Yasser feels that it's all good. Yasser thinks this is the right way to go. Yasser thinks they've struck the right balance. We've, we've put a lot of thought into uh, into this, and we want to make sure that these very important benefits around uh, providing support for our families take place as soon as possible. Providing support for our families take place. I can give you the stats on who earns the minimum wage. It's not the single mother. This is always what they're putting forward with a single mother that needs to feed her kids. I'm not saying there's no single mothers looking to feed their kids making the minimum wage. But the vast majority, it's the secondary income in the house. It is a student. It is not someone who is supporting their whole family on minimum wage. That is not the demographic profile of someone earning minimum wage. What they're trying to do is make sure that they get all the 18-year-olds out to vote for them. Heard a young reporter on the station earlier today say, no, this is a really popular idea. With who? Maybe with your friends, but I haven't heard from anybody that thinks this is a good idea. Meanwhile, business owners struggling to make ends meet, they've invested a heck of a lot more than $15 an hour, and they've laid it all on the line, and they could be losing out. It is 
insanity what they're doing. And now in the middle of this, they've decided to hold hearings after they've already told everyone what they're going to do. And they're not going into the hearings open-minded. You heard from Yasser Nakvi, we feel this is the right thing to do. Bully for you. Unfortunately, it's just another way that you and your liberals are looking to kill the Ontario economy. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll talk about home ownership. We'll talk about what the increase in the Bank of Canada rate means to you in real dollar terms. We're we're not going to talk at the 50,000-foot level because, frankly, that bores me. What does it mean in terms of how much money, extra money, is going to come out of your jeans to pay the mortgage? Back with Frank Napolitano from Mortgage Brokers Ottawa when we come back. Some days, the resistance verges on rebellion. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. From our perspective, it's entirely appropriate for them to start raising rates now when inflation is still well below 2%. Because that inflation is going to is going to pick up as as the output gap closes and as uh, these other temporary factors, um, the effect of these temporary factors uh, softens. I don't fully understand everything that guy just said, but that's uh, Jean-Francois Perot, chief economist at Scotiabank, talking about the interest rate hike announced by. Stephen Polos, the governor, governor of the Bank of Canada, earlier today. The economy clearly no longer needs uh, as much stimulus as we've been giving it. Uh, but at the same time, we, we're, we're letting you know that the, the world has changed enough in recent years, in particular indebtedness of households and so on, that the economy may behave slightly differently compared to the average behavior over time, i.e. what's in our models. See, that's, that, that's at least a fairly um, straightforward, plain English uh, statement from a central bank governor. I've covered these guys. I've covered Polos. I used to go and cover Mark Carney during the height of the, the whole 2008 meltdown and, and all of that. And I'd just say, <clears throat> he'd talk for a while. And then when it got to me for my question, I'd just say, can you talk as if you're talking to your Aunt May in Whitby? Because nobody understands what you're saying. That's why I want to talk to Frank Napolitano now, because Frank's going to talk at a level we can all get. And in real dollar terms, Frank Napolitano, mortgage broker with MortgageBrokersOttawa.com, on the line with me now. Frank, uh, you probably understand what these guys are talking about. But in real terms, this interest rate hike, this guy ain't falling, is it? Far from falling, actually. It's, it's you know, the first time in seven years that it's happened that they've been calling for it to happen over the last three or four years. Uh, the economy is in a position right now where it, they think it can sustain a quarter-point increase. So with a quarter-point increase, the, no, the sky is not falling. Far from it, actually. All right. So if I'm on, and I'm not, and you and I ran into each other in the hallway, and it was a couple of years ago going into a um, you know mortgage renewal situation. Do you go with uh, variable? Do you go with closed? And there was all the talk then, the chatter. Oh, they're going to put it up now. They're going to put it up. And I said, you know what? You know, it got a really good rate on a closed. I'm going to go with that. And uh, in that way, if they go up next month, I don't have to worry about it. So I'm not worried about this. But, you know, a lot of people always say the smart money is invariable. And and it's hard to argue with that. It worked for me for years. But if you're in a variable, what does it mean in real dollar terms for, all right, next month, 
because the the four or is it all six of the the big banks have now said yeah our rates are going up tomorrow yeah i think four of them have officially announced it but i imagine that all six will uh, will be officially higher tomorrow morning if not by by the end of the week for sure what that means in real dollars if you've got a hundred thousand dollar mortgage that's sitting in a variable it your payment's going to increase by approximately twelve dollars per month all right so you multiply that by how big your mortgage is Mm-hmm. Twelve bucks. So you got a three hundred thousand dollar mortgage. It's thirty six dollars per month. And mm. I, again, not to be disrespectful, but if you're carrying a three hundred thousand dollar mortgage, and thirty six dollars is going to knock you over, you got other then, problems. Yeah, you've got other problems for sure. What? I guess you know, for a lot of people, and maybe for small businesses that uh, float a lot of the receivables, this uh, this could be worrisome if you know. It drives up that or it drives up people's uh, uh, lines of credit and so on. I guess that could be the more problematic area. But you don't expect this to to puncture the housing uh, situation here in Ottawa or even the bubble down in Toronto anytime soon. Uh, I mean, if a quarter point does that, then, then our economy is in a lot more trouble than they're making out to be. You know, I just think at this point, it's a quarter point. I mean, we've we've been at historic lows for the last almost 10 years now. We had an increase, so we dropped when the recession started back in 2008. We dropped considerably over a two-year period. Then what they actually—I love did is those they, days. Yeah. So <laughs> then, what the poor Americans, what they went through. But uh, then, what happened is, is in 2010, we had three increases of a quarter point each, and then in 2000, then we went another five years, uh, beginning of 2015, when we saw two quarter point decreases. So. Again, I mean, you know, for, for those that are thinking that over the next year, year and a half, the prime rate's going to go up by two full percentage points, I'm not sure that that's sustainable. What I do think might happen, we might see another quarter point maybe at the end of this year and maybe another quarter point to half point next year. I don't imagine that prime rate can go up that significantly hey, but for a short-term period. Even that, unless you are brand new to the housing market, you've only been in the last five years or so, even that is still going to be historically low. You of know, course. I got in. Everyone was talking about mortgage rates being between 5 and 7%. You're at a house party. People end up, you know, you, you, cocktail conversation. Oh, well, I got this. Oh, you got five. Oh, that's great. Things are going down. And then all of a sudden, and the reason I said I love those days wasn't because I loved the, the you know, the whole tumult in our uh, economy, the, the disaster that it was but that I had just signed on to a variable rate for the first time. And instead of it being four point whatever, it went down to 1.4. I like that part. Right. So, again, you picked the time to go into a variable when it, it looked like we were in a downward trend. So, you know, for those that are thinking today, maybe I'm going to take a variable because there's a half or three-quarter point discrepancy between a variable and a fixed, they better make sure that they're financially sound enough to be able to sustain the potential that prime rate could go up a quarter, half, or three-quarters of a point. Because you're better off today, if, if the arrow's pointing up where interest rates are going up, I believe most people are better off taking a five-year fix. If you can get a good rate, and, and those rates are still pretty pretty reasonable. Yeah, anywhere, you know, if you're, if you're buying a house and you're in a high-ratio mortgage, you can get as low as 2.59 today for a five-year fix, which isn't going to be much different than what the variable rate is tomorrow morning. Let me, the prime rate have gone up a quarter point. Speaking of Frank Napolitano from Mortgage Brokers Ottawa, let me ask you this, Frank. Um, you hear about, and, and you know these situations better than I, because I've never had to 
implement this? Well, you can get a variable with the ability to lock in if rates are going up. I mean, that always sounds too good to be true. Uh, the bank wants its money one way or another. They have to make a profit. I get that. So if you get into that situation, if somebody says, well, I've got a variable, but if it goes up too much, I can lock in. Are you? Do you normally face a penalty if you lock in? You, you, you actually do not face a penalty if you lock in. One of the privileges that comes with a variable rate mortgage is that you have the ability to convert it to a fixed mortgage at any time throughout the term but your fixed mortgage term that you choose must equal to or be greater than the remaining term that's left on your variable rate mortgage. So, you know, if you took a variable out three years ago, the minimum term you can take if you decide to fix it is the two remaining years that you have on your term. You can take a five-year and extend it, but you can't go less than that. Okay. All right. So now, for you, those you're, you're not in trouble, three years ago, mm-hmm. you know, you know, for those people that are calling and, and I've had numerous calls today where people have said, Frank, maybe I, I think I'm going to lock in. I'm getting nervous. I don't disagree with them because what I say to them is you've been in your variable. You've been averaging two and a quarter percent over the last three years. You're going to get a new five year now. And let's say you get two and three quarter percent. That means if I had said to you three years ago, I'm going to get you an eight year mortgage at two and a half percent, you would have been pretty happy with me. That's essentially what you're signing up for now. If you take five years at two and three quarters, and you've had the last three years at two and a quarter, you've essentially taken an eight-year mortgage at two and a half percent, which isn't too bad. You know, it's nothing that I complain about. But as I said, I remember the higher rates. My parents remember 18, 20 percent and their friends losing their homes. Thankfully, you and I are not old enough to remember that, but we remember our parents dealing with that. Absolutely. All right, Frank, great talking as always. Pleasure. All right, people, people can find you. It's an easy website to remember. Where is it? Mortgagebrokersauto.com or listen to us on CFRA Saturday mornings, Open House of Real Estate and Mortgage Show, 10 a.m. And, and despite the fact they're talking numbers the whole time, those guys have fun. Let me, l- we let do me have tell a you. Fun. Yes, we do. <laughs> Thanks, Frank. All the best. Thanks. Okay. All right. When we come back, we want to bring in Warren Kinsella because there's so much politics to get to from Donald Trump Jr. Um, confirming that there were lots of talks with Russia, uh, to his take on Justin Trudeau and Omar Khadr. It's not what you think. And I'll even get him to comment on the craziness of the NDP race. All of that coming up next. Warren Kinsella. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. You can drop me a line, beyondthenews at CFRA.com. Any thoughts on what we've talked about? the news with brian Lilly, news talk 580 cfra the charter of rights and freedoms protects all canadians every one of us even when it is uncomfortable this is not about the details or merits of the cotter case when the government violates any canadians charter rights we all end up paying for it. Oh, it's the story that won't go away for Justin Trudeau, will it? Omar Cotter. Uh, Warren Kinsella and I talked about this last week, and he's a liberal who was upset about it then. He's still upset about it now. Warren, hello. Are you surprised that this story continues to have no. legs? No. You know what? I, I, I mean, it, it, it is the story that just keeps going and going and going. And when you think back, every time Cotter's name appears in the news, it's kind of like that. I, I think it's because it's a proxy for a whole bunch of issues, you know, terrorism and war 
and young people and charter rights and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I really, you know, I disagree with the respect with the prime minister. It really uh, is about more than the merits of the case. It's about, you know, a dead medic. It's about a young man who made bombs. And you can go on the Internet and find videos of him making bombs. He was a bad guy. And he, he may be not a bad guy anymore, but he sure was then. And I don't think we should be rewarding him. And I, I say that as a liberal. And, well, and as you and I talked about a week ago, uh, his your old boss, who was prime minister when he was captured, wouldn't have paid him out unless the courts ordered him to. And I still have people telling me, oh, the courts, the Supreme Court said they had to pay him the ten and a half. You know, liberals have to hope that's what people think, because if they realize that Justin Trudeau didn't even wait for a, a, a word of testimony in this civil lawsuit to be heard and just negotiated the settlement, I think people will be furious. And this will last longer than a week or two. I'm glad you mentioned Kretchen, um, because that raised an important story. You will remember, because you're an old guy like me, when we were campaigning in 1993, we said we were going to cancel the EH-101 helicopter that the uh, Tory government had uh, signed a contract for, and we said that we would stop the privatization of the Pearson Airport. Remember all that stuff? And people Absolutely. said, oh, if you, you do that, you're going to get sued. And blah, blah, blah. and Kretschia said, let them sue. We're going to fight it in court. I've got a mandate to stop those things. And he did. He got a mandate to stop them. The Tories were reduced to two seats. And, though, you know, the Pearson Airport privateer guys fought it in court, and the EH-101 guys fought it too. And Kretschia had was forced by the courts to make a payout. And just to the point you just made, Trudeau hasn't been forced by the courts to do anything. They just tried to get there ahead of time, a little bit early. I would advise them, fight it out. Fight it. Fight it for well, the last minute. And so, seem to be fighting it. So you're not shocked at this poll from Angus Reid Institute showing 71% of Canadians, including 61% of Liberal voters and 64% of New Democrat voters, say, I don't like this. Uh, you should have, I mean, the question actually was, uh, did the government do the right thing in settling or should the government have fought it? And 71% said they should have fought this. But you know what I got on my website, as you know, the Canada's best-loved political website. Um, <laughs> of course. I, uh, I had some people saying to me, I don't know if they were liberals or New Democrats, saying, oh, well, you know, Angus Reid is a Tory shill. And I'm like, are you out of your mind, Angus Reid? He bleeds liberal red. He always has, you know, like he's, I think he's Lloyd Axworthy's, like, spiritual son. Like, he's as liberal as a gift. It's like, no, I'm sorry, guys. But I also, you know, you and I have been around polling long enough. You can ask a slanted question. It's a very fair question. I look at some polls, you look at some polls, and you say, oh, that's torqued. They wanted wanted a specific result. This one was a straight up and down question. Here are two options. The government did the right thing in settling, blah, blah. The government did the wrong thing in settling. there was no torque. They didn't say they paid a little terrorist SOB ten and a half million. How do you feel about it? Yeah, no, it was it was pretty straight up. And Angus does good work, and he did good work for liberal governments, successive liberal governments <laughs> for decades. And he, you know what? He probably does work still for the Trudeau government. So you know, this notion that it, you know, seventy one percent are wrong and it's all a big lie. It's no, it, it's it probably isn't. Well, Maybe you can argue over some points. I, I, the majority, I, Lisa and I, my wife and I wrote last night, ran into 
this couple who know nothing about politics. They're not involved in any political party. And they turn to us and say, you two are involved in politics? Did you hear what Trudeau did? I really don't like that. That's the voice of the people. And, you know, they're not people who are conservatives or New Democrats. They're just saying they really don't like it. They don't think it's right. Yeah, I always called it the school bus test. You know, when my kids were little and I'd be at, you know, putting them on the school bus. If if the other parents started asking me about, because they all knew what I'd do for a living. If they started asking me about stuff, uh, okay, so it broke through the Ottawa bubble. All right, then it's real news. Um, the uh, the thing that um, that is galling, I've done a lot of American talk radio this week on it, is the thing that's galling a lot of them are these reports from Bob Fife and others that they hurried up the payment to yeah. shield it from tap of the spear. Yeah, I, I hope that isn't so. Uh, that's terrible if it's so. But, you know, they've created a trap for themselves, and I think Con and his, his legal team, Cotter and his legal team, created a uh, trap for themselves. He apologized in open court. Nobody can say he was forced to do that. Nobody said he was coerced to do that uh, and expressed regret and, you know, said he believed in the beauty of life, quote-unquote. Quote. He looked right at her and apologized and so on. If he's serious, you know, if, he, if he's listening to you and I right now, or any of the, the people around him, I say in all seriousness, it's like, guys, if you were serious about what you said, give that money to that woman who's lost her husband and those kids who've lost their dad. You know, you do not have similar circumstances. You're a young guy. You know, why don't you give that money to her? I think that that's what he should do. I, I could not argue more. Uh, he can donate at SpearKids.com. Help us get to that million bucks. We'll see. I know you're biting at the bit to talk about um, President <laughs> Donald Trump. And, and, you, know my and thought, Junior. you know my thoughts on Donald Trump. I, I, I thought he was a better option than Hillary, but he would not have been who I voted for in any of the primaries. Um, not an ideal candidate, but when you're forced into making a binary choice... Well, that's where you are. If those are the best two folks that America can come up with, we're in trouble. See, you regret it now. You would actually now, knowing what you know, you still, you would have voted for Hillary. Um, No, no, I didn't say the devil was skating to work. (laughs) But Donald Trump Jr., you know, you saw the testimony from all these different people, including James Comey. And I looked at what James Comey said, and I big testimony and everyone's going at it. And I like to, it's a nothing burger. There's nothing there. And nobody could connect Trump to the Russians until Donald Trump Jr. Till yesterday. Came out and released his emails. Here he is on Hannity last night. In retrospect, I probably would have done things a little differently. Again, this is before the Russia mania. This is before they were building it up in the press. For me, this was opposition research. They had something, you know, maybe concrete evidence to all the stories I'd been hearing about, but they were probably underreported. So not good news for this guy at all. Nobody can say this is fake news, that it's spin. Now, I'll agree with Alan Dershowitz, uh, Harvard lawyer and impeccable liberal credentials. He was asked about this and he said, well, from what I've seen so far, no crime's been broken. You got people running around saying, oh, it's proof of treason. He says, no crimes. Is it a sin? No, he's yeah, wrong. But he's wrong. he says a sin is different than a crime. He's Why wrong. is he wrong? Well, you and I, you've interviewed me over the years. When I go down to the States and I volunteer on Democratic campaigns, I do that for free. I don't get a plug nickel. And not only that, as you know, 
because uh, you're a smart guy. If when I go to buy my Hillary T-shirt, as I did, right, I'm not allowed to do that because that's a foreigner making a donation. You're not even allowed to buy a $10 T-shirt. It's against the law. The reason why Dershowitz is wrong, in my opinion, is they received a benefit from a foreign government. The most senior people in the Trump campaign received a material benefit, which was all this dirt about Hillary Clinton. I think that uh, the Don Jr. did admit to a crime. He broke election law by going to that meeting and receiving information that had value to the Trump campaign. Well, he now says that they got nothing from it, and unless proof comes out, and of course, can we believe anything they say? They also point to a meeting that uh, Hillary's camp went to with the Ukrainians to get dirt on Donald. Um, So the U.S. is in quite a mess right now, but there's no no way that the the Trump campaign can say, we never talked to the Russians ever again. Like a week ago... You know, just well, just slightly less than a week ago, the New York Times, all they had, as you know, were three anonymous sources, apparently in the White House, allegedly in the White House, saying that there was these emails to Don Jr. But they did not have the emails. So what does this moron do? He releases the emails. He provides the proof, as you said, of the Russian collusion. Now, collusion isn't a crime. Dershowitz is right about that. But it's pretty close to a criminal conspiracy to accept the help of a hostile foreign power without disclosing it, without registering that. Because that's also something you're supposed to do in the United States. You have to register as a foreign agent. Paul Manafort, who was then the campaign manager for Donald Trump, who went to that meeting in the first week of June of last year, he's now subsequently had to register as a foreign agent for Russia. So, you know, I think a whole bunch of rules were broken there. But I think most Americans see it. They read the email and go, holy smokes. Well, it's the line where he says, I love it. And at that point, the lawyer he was going to meet had been described to him as a crown attorney for the Russian government. Yeah. So it turns it turns out she's not. You know, is she some kind of agent for them? Yes. Is she officially a crown attorney for them or anything of the sort? No, but there's an awful lot of there's an awful lot more questions. I think without these emails being released, this story would have eventually have died down because you just have people going around making accusations with no well, it proof. It had died down. It had died. Down. Yeah. And now you've got like, what are they going to say? What is Donald Trump going to go on Fox and say? I don't know who Donald Trump Jr. is. <laughs> you know, like, I've he never heard say? of this guy. It's never fake news. All right. Speaking with Warren Kinsella, we're way over time, but I got to play this for you because you have hyped this guy, Jagmeet Singh, and I opened the show talking about the NDP and their leadership race because I think they're all radicals. They, they endorsed the Regina Manifesto, which calls for the overthrowing of capitalism and a planned socialist state. And here's Jagmeet Singh, the guy you said, oh, this guy is great. He'd be awesome for the NDP leadership. I think I know why now. You want him to be NDP leader because he's crazy. Here's the clip. I believe that right now we have a responsibility to stand up for redistribution. People have wealth and they need to give that wealth to those. They need to transfer that wealth to those who are living in poverty right now. That's a fundamental principle. Income transfers are very different than social programs. Warren, I need an income transfer. My basement needs some work. You've got money. Give it to me. (laughs) But you know what? I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. Justin Trudeau is prime minister for the next 100 years. (laughs) This is why you want Jagmeet Singh. (laughs) And he goes around calling Canada a genocidal country. 
I'm sorry, that's not going to sit well with most Canadians. Not ready, not ready for the big leagues. No. All right, Warren, great talking to you as always. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. You can read them, as he said, Canada's most loved political website, warrenkinsella.com. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back after this. To you, he's rebellious. To official Ottawa, he's disdainfully insubordinate. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. On News Talk 580 CFRA. By now, you've heard the story. Ted Raymond broke in with it during Ottawa Now with breaking news theme. Julie Payette is going to be our next Governor General. We expect that announcement to be made tomorrow. Hmm. Julie Payette as Governor General. What do I think about it? Well, I know that she's an accomplished scientist, an astronaut. Uh, I know nothing of her politics, and that's highly appropriate. I like that in a governor general. I think David Johnson's done a good job. I was not a fan of Mikhail Jean, especially not by the end. She handled herself very well during the earthquake in Haiti and uh, was uh, worked with the government in ways that normally GGs don't uh, because it is her uh, the, the country she was born in. But yeah, something about her appointment rubbed me the wrong way. We started to hear the news that somebody would be appointed uh, as of tomorrow, and then it broke that it was Julie Payette. Here's my only problem with it, and it has nothing to do with her. Julie Payette was appointed for two main reasons and one smaller third reason that have nothing to do with her qualifications, which are extensive. She was appointed because she is a woman and because she is a francophone. Because this government has made it clear they want more women in appointments, and we alternate between francophone and anglophone. This was not a let's find the best person. And again, not saying she doesn't have great qualifications, but it's sad that that's how we make appointments in this country. Andrew Coyne tweeted that out when it was announced that Beverly McLaughlin was going to be resigning as Supreme Court Chief Justice. He tweeted, unfortunately, we're not looking for the best legal minds. We're looking for someone who meets an ethnic or gender or regional line. That is how we make appointments in this country, not who's the best person for the job. And Gigi is such a strange role. You know, who really is the best person for the job? But we make it based on do you meet the right ethnic requirements, the right gender requirements, the right regional requirements? Julie Payette does. She has other qualifications. Unfortunately, those were the two big determinants. That's what got you in the door. The third requirement or the third qualification that she has, she went to McGill. Why does that matter? Justin Trudeau went to McGill. More importantly, his principal secretary, Jerry Butts, went to McGill. And he won't stop talking about McGill and McGill achievements. So he's a big McGill booster. I guarantee you that played into this. Again, this is not to take away from Julie Payette. This is to point out the problems with our system. By the way, she was interviewed a couple of years ago about what she wanted to see for Canada's 150th birthday. And she said that we should be talking about our achievements in space, in science. We should have a, a time, use it as a time to reflect on the remarkable changes in, uh, since 1867 when people traveled by horse and buggy and railways were just starting to tie the country together. And use it as an opportunity to fire up the minds of Canadians and their imaginations. 
My guess is she's disappointed. I won't say it. Uh, let's just say she's dis- I won't use the analogy that came to my mind. Let's just say that she's got to be disappointed because nobody's really psyched about Canada 150. A quick update on the SpearKids.com fundraising. Hit $120,000 just moments ago. $120,000. I launched this last Friday on this program saying, let's try and get a million dollars for the kids of Sergeant Christopher Spears. People said, oh, you're crazy. You won't even hit 100000 Well, in five days, we've hit $120,000. We've got 25 days left. A lot of interest from Americans. I'll tell you about that later on in the program. But when we come back, I want to talk about this iceberg and the hysteria going on about this iceberg in Antarctica and remind you some of the crazy things that Al Gore has said over the years. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back after this. Every revolution starts with a rebel. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. And uh, some of the models suggest to Dr. Maslowski that there is a 75% chance that the entire North Polar Ice Cap during summer, during some of the summer months could be completely ice-free within the next five to seven years. I love Al Gore. I love Al Gore because he's such a raving lunatic and an idiot. He's fantastic. He says things Now's like the that. best time to oh. indulge a little. Or what a lot. heck? Sorry, that's CNN jumping in on me as I try to read from a story. That's stopped now. But I do need the, uh, the computer back there, Steve. And I promise not to let CNN do that again. That was Al Gore in 2009 at the Copenhagen Climate Change Summit. You remember that? The world got together to talk about how the world was warming and they were all complaining that they were freezing outside in the snow in Copenhagen. Oh, it's great. And Al Gore said in 2009 that we would be completely ice-free in the polar regions by 2014. Because he said in five years. Which 2017, we're still not ice-free. Not even in the summer months. Of course, these were also the people that said by, I think, 2010, children playing in London would never know what snow was like. They still get snow there. They haven't gotten a lot of it since the time of Dickens during the Little Ice Age that they were in at the time. But they still get snow there. These guys are hysterical. Now, why am I bringing this up other than to constantly prove that Al Gore is wrong? Your children are subjected to that awful movie, An Inconvenient Truth. Did they still show that in schools? My guys haven't seen it in a long time. If anybody's kids have been shown that piece of propaganda crap... In their school, drop me a line beyond the news at CFRA.com. There was actually a, a group of parents in Britain that took their school district to court 
over the showing of an inconvenient truth. And a judge found that there were dozens of errors in the movie and that it could not be shown in school without pointing out all of the errors in the movies, in the movie. It's a piece of entertainment. It's not a piece of science. I've written stories on this time and again. The, the UN at one point relied on, I think it was information from Greenpeace, which is not exactly a scientific group. They're an activist group that said the Himalayas would be snow-free. Of course, they're not. And they'll show you pictures of, well, here's what it used to look like. And it's a picture that was taken in wintertime. And then they'll take a picture in the dead of summer and like, oh, look, there's not as much snow and ice. Well, that's because it's winter versus summer. There, there is a difference. And if, if it didn't melt off in the winter, in the summer, sorry, guess what? There wouldn't be fresh water for the people living down below in the valleys and the rivers and the streams and all the things that feed people with fresh water to drink. That's where it comes from, whether it's the Alps or the Himalayas or any of these big mountain ranges. But why am I rambling on about Al Gore being wrong other than it's just fun? Because he's tweeted out about this big chunk of ice that is broken off in Antarctica. It's called the Larsen Sea Ice Shelf. And he's saying this is related to climate change. Well, you know who's not saying that? The actual scientists that broke the story and are studying it. This thing is massive, but it's not the biggest ice shelf that's ever broken off from Antarctica. Not by a long shot. Scientists say the vast iceberg broke off from a key floating ice shelf in Antarctica. So it's, it's regularly a floating ice shelf. It is not part of the permafrost. It's not part of the continent. It's a floating ice shelf. And Professor Adrian Luckman from Swansea University in Britain, who's been studying this, says that this Larsen Sea ice shelf is twice the volume of Lake Erie. This is a, a very large iceberg, not one of the largest, uh, not the largest ever to be recorded as, as breaking away from Antarctica, but one of the largest, certainly. It's uh, 5,800 uh, square kilometers in size, more than a trillion tons in, in weight. Now, here's the other thing that you need to know here. They expected this to happen. This was not unexpected. It's called calving. It's been anticipated for months. They've been watching this. They said it's going to happen. And then, as Professor Luckman said, it did happen. There isn't really going to be any immediate effect. There's going to be no immediate sea level rise from this or, or anything like that. Uh, it'll be taking years until we really know whether the ice shelf will react to this, uh, this large current event. So speaking to CNN, this is a quote reading to you from CNN. So fake news, left wing, all of that. And here's what they're writing from Professor Adrian Luckman of Swansea University, the lead investigator of the Midas Project that's been looking into this. We have been anticipating this event for months and have been surprised how long it took for the rift to break through the final few kilometers of ice. He told CNN he, uh, the team believes the iceberg has remained intact, adding this is part of the normal behavior of ice shelves. Let me repeat that. This is part of the normal behavior of ice shelves, adding what makes this unusual is the size. Again, not the largest, 
Scientists believe the iceberg, likely to be named A68, has a volume twice the size of that of Lake Erie, almost three times the size of the greater London area. But this is normal behavior. Just scrolling down to the next quote from Professor Luckman. He says, this event does not directly affect anyone, and repercussions, if there are any, will not be felt for years. However, it is a spectacular and enormous geographical event which has changed the landscape. I can't argue with that. It is, it's twice the size in, in volume, anyway, of, uh, of water and ice is Lake Erie. Not necessarily size, but three times the size of the greater London area. That is massive. But they won't know the impact for years to come. But you've got Al Gore running around saying, wow, this is climate change. This is obviously climate change. Just remember what Al Gore said in 2009. And uh, some of the models suggest to Dr. Maslowski that there is a 75% chance that the entire North Polar Ice Cap during summer, during some of the summer months could be completely ice-free within the next five to seven years. Five to seven years. That was 2009, so five years, 2014, seven years. 2016 still hasn't happened. They also said London would never experience snow in the winter. So why do people believe this guy? Why do they believe him? Al Gore tweeted out 12 hours ago, the Larsen Sea ice shelf has broken away from Antarctica. A jarring reminder why we must solve the climate crisis. Well, what are the actual scientists saying about this and climate change? Again, Professor Luckman, who's the lead researcher on this. We will study the ice shelf for signs it is that it is reacting to the calving. But we do not expect anything much to happen for perhaps years. Icebergs are routinely monitored by various agencies, and they will be keen to keep track of this one. Calving is a natural occurrence, but scientists have been exploring whether climate change may have played a role in expediting the rift. Well, researchers have not yet found, quote, any link to human-induced climate change. That from Martin O'Leary, a Swansea University glaciologist and member of the Midas Project team. So the people that have been studying this closest say they have not yet found any link to human-induced climate change. But Al Gore uses this to say we need to solve the climate crisis. It is a naturally occurring event, one they were expecting, part of the normal life process on this earth. But Al Gore says... Let's do this. And everybody, every media outlet is running with this as proof of the climate crisis. And we've got to solve it. We've got to solve it. We've got to solve it. Back to Professor Luckman, again, telling CNN, they're climate boosters. They're climate change boosters. Trust me. But they're the ones publishing this. And I'm reading from them specifically because of this. Luckman added, we have no evidence to link this directly to climate change and no reason to believe that it would not have happened without the extra warming that human activity has caused. But the ice shelf is now at, at its most retreated position, uh, position ever recorded, and regional warming may have played a part in that. So Professor Luckman is all about climate change. He's all for that, all for the warming. He's not any kind of climate change denier. We have no evidence to link this directly to climate change. 
Remember, a couple of years ago, the Antarctic sea ice was at historic highs. It had been expanding, expanding, expanding. Well, now it's calving. It's putting off icebergs. This is part of its natural life cycle. Don't buy into the hype. Doesn't matter what the news source is. Look at what the actual scientists are saying. And I need to remind you, Al Gore is not a scientist. Al Gore is a professional politician, has always been thus, a professional politician. I'm not sure he had any real job before he went into politics, before he became a senator, where he and his wife campaigned against song lyrics. That was their big deal back in the 80s. Then he was vice president, and ever since then, he's had his fat behind flown around in private jets where he lands, and then a, a you should see the motorcade that picks up Al Gore when he lands. It's not the Secret Service, by the way. That's not the reason for the big motorcade. It's his big ego and his big behind. Have you seen how big he's gotten since he left office? Ooh, it's not pretty. Not pretty. Not that I can talk. But I'm not Al Gore big. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back after this. Insurgent, believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the news with Brian Lilly, News Talk 580 CFRA. Have you gone whitewater rafting? Found some brochures downstairs at Whitewater Rafting. I was like, oh, that looks kind of interesting. Look at the brochures. Look at the website. Man, this stuff is expensive. I've never tried this. My uh, oldest daughter did with Girl Guides. I, you know, figure, all right, if she can do it, I can do it. But wow, it ain't cheap. Have you done it? If so, where? Drop me a line. I'd love to hear. Do you you have a thought on where I should try Whitewater? That's just... I think one of these looks familiar to me. So I think the one in my right hand is the one that uh, my daughter went to with the Girl Guides. Again, if Girl Guides can do it, I can survive it. But I can't survive the price. Holy cow. How many boxes of cookies did they have to sell for this? Of course, as I'm also looking at these um, these brochures, I'm wondering about my eyesight. And do I need to be getting my eyes tested? couple times over the last couple days, I've had something too close and I've had to like do that thing where you stick your arm out because it doesn't look right. And I'm wondering, do I need glasses? Do I, do I need to be saying, whoa, do I need the eyes tested? At what point? Ellsworth, you wear glasses. How long have you been wearing glasses? Oh, since I was at least three years old. Okay. So you don't remember at what point you went, Huh? Oh, so you see, you weren't even reading, so it's not even 
Oh, mom, the brochure's too close. <laughs> you and, just uh, you... on top of that, I've also been wearing contact lenses in my eyes since I was like a little kid. They use like one of those little plungers to take them in and and take them back out every every day and every night. So, so. you wear contacts and glasses? Yep. Whoa. Yep. Wow. Why? Um, I, I didn't know you could do that. That's why I'm saying why. I was uh, born with congenital bilateral cataracts as a kid. Okay. So I needed surgery and all that, and I was like, I was a, pretty much a, a regular at Shield for quite a bit. But now, now the eye pressures have fortunately gotten better. But w- when I take out when I take out my lenses, like so, sometimes I like I can barely see at night, so I need to put on like. My old man glasses, just to like walk around and make sure I don't bump into anything in the middle. So of the your night. your old man glasses are really thick, like yes, what we used to call before everything went plastic, Coke bottle glasses. <laughs> you're too That's young, about to, right? Yeah, you're too young to remember Coke bottles, but they're they're that thick. I take your word on that. Okay, I uh, I mean this is different to me having a. I've always been able to you know be on the other side of the room and people are saying. Oh, what's that saying? I can read it clearly. Mm-hmm. I can read everything clearly. So this is this is disturbing to me. This is the th- about the third time it's happened. Just something's been whoa, okay, too close. Got to m- I don't know. I'll figure that out. Uh, but three. So you you don't ever remember having clear vision? Not really. No. Okay. Wow. I have no idea what that's like. It's, no idea. It's uh, my vision is about. In my opinion, uh, right now, as good as it can get, about as close to normal as I can get. So I'm satisfied. Yeah, well, you should be happy with that. I mean, medical science is, uh, you know, 200 years ago. <laughs> what what would your life would have been like? You, you know, might have been considered nearly blind. Yeah, and, and there was a chance, you know, before the surgery that I could be blind. Yeah, well, um, thank goodness for, for places like Chio on that. I, yeah, no uh, kidding. I, I'm, I realize how lucky I am because... You know, the, you normally look to do your parents wear glasses? Do your siblings wear glasses to figure out if you're going to need them? Yeah, my all my family wears glasses. My mom, my dad, my brother also. I'm the only one that doesn't. <laughs> I'm the only one. So I know it's coming at some point. I just don't know when. And these brochures and looking at my phone or, or well, yesterday and today, I was thinking, okay, am I just tired or is it my eyes? We'll see. Uh Rideau Canal, interesting news here. The Rideau Canal welcomed 8,355 vessels in June 2017. This is from Parks Canada. 8,355 vessels. So is that up, down, what is it? Well, according to Parks Canada, it's an increase of approximately 10% over last year. For the same time period, lockage was up 7%, vessel moorings up 4%. Accommodations occupancy rate was 33% for the month of June. I don't know what that means, but it does sound like things are good and things are moving up at the the Rideau Canal. I actually saw, believe it or not, I was walking across the Mackenzie King Bridge, I think to here one day, and I looked down and there's a boat from Beaumont, South Carolina, parked right outside the Weston. Can you imagine, like... So that's its home port. How do you get to Ottawa on the Rideau Canal? My guess is that they went up the U.S. Eastern Seaboard, down the um, down the St. Lawrence, and then up through the Rideau system at some point. And that's got to you, one. You got to have money to buy a boat that big and that nice. It was gorgeous, but two, you got to have time and money to to do that uh, that trek. I know what it's like filling up my buddy's fishing boats. 
that's always, hey, you owe me, you owe me 40 bucks. You know how much we did on the, the river today? You owe me money. Uh, it ain't going to be 40 bucks to do that trip. Just before I give you a quick update on the uh, Spear Kids, uh, Islamist and terrorists are now forbidden words at the Associated Press. This from the Clarion Project. If you aren't familiar with the Clarion Project, that might be my fault. I need to get them on more often. They're a great organization out of the United States, California, I believe. Um, And they write, a round of applause goes to CARE and its media shills for actualizing their goal of scrubbing the word Islamist from journalism's lexicon. In a stunning display of progressive political correctness, the Associated Press announced that, among other words and expressions, Islamist and terrorist are no longer acceptable. Instead, Islamist is to be dropped altogether, and the perpetrators of Islamist terrorist attacks are to be called militants, attackers, or lone wolves. Sounds like a CBC did a reverse takeover of the Associated Press. And if you think, well, the Associated Press, that's American, it's not going to have an impact here. Any remaining vestiges of that word in Canadian media outside of shows like this are going to be purged. They're going to be pushed out because it won't be considered appropriate. The journalists are trained to write in the APCP style. And so words like terrorist or Islamist, and there is a difference between an Islamist and a Muslim. And everybody knows that. But if you're running around saying that you believe in Sharia and everyone must submit and carrying out acts of violence to get to that goal, well, you're an Islamist. You're not a Muslim. You're an Islamist. You are an Islamist supremacist. And I love that term from Mubin Sheikh, supremacist. But they wouldn't use that word either, would they? Just to give you a quick update. So I've been doing a lot of American media. I was on with Glenn Beck uh, this morning. I was on with Louder with Crowder, Stephen Crowder last night in the U.S. Uh, was on with Dana Lesh, Dana Lesh, sorry, in uh, the U.S. A lot of Americans, uh, Micah Palka, Patton Stew taking interest in this. I've also been across the country with uh, Jerry Agar, um, Tom McConnell down in the Niagara region in London, uh, John Gormley and uh, fr- out in Saskatchewan, and Friday I'll be on with uh, Phil Johnson out in Kelowna. $120,000 raised. Some people thought we wouldn't even get to hundred k for the Spear Kids. We're at $120,000 raised. Are we going to hit the million? I don't know. As I said last Friday, it's a big ask. But if you want to do something positive out of your anger over the Omar Cotter settlement, this is one way you can do it. Spearkids.com. Phone lines open up now. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Back after this. A rebel? You know it. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Feelings. Nothing more than feeling. Trying to forget my. Feelings of love Teardrops Rolling down on my face 
We feel that uh, an, an increase from 1140 uh, to $11.60 in October, as was originally planned, and then to $14 on January 1st, and eventually $15 by uh, uh, beginning of uh, 2019, uh, is, is the right transition uh, period. I love that Yasser Nakvi feels that this is the right thing to do. We feel that an, an, an increase from 1140. What, what, what do you base this increase in the minimum wage on, Yasser? We feel that... An, an, we feel. How do you feel about the increase to the minimum wage? Are you a small business owner? Maybe you've got kids that are working for minimum wage. You've got teenagers like me and you're like, hey, this is great. They're going to make more money. Or maybe you're like me and you've got teenagers and you realize this is going to make it tougher for them to get their first job. This is not a good thing. But don't worry. All the folks that are behind this, they don't worry on silly thing about silly things like economic impact studies. They worry about the feelings of this and, and what they think might happen. The way that Sean McKenney from the Ottawa District Labor Council does. People that are making $15 an hour are not going down south. They're not going to the Bahamas to spend their money. They're spending it right here in our community. Well, well, where all of us will prosper. We're all going to prosper as we're all laid off. How does that sound to you? Paul Murphy from Calabogie Peak saying he is going to have to lay off a good chunk of his staff. This legislation or proposed legislation has come on way too fast and the magnitude of the increase is too steep for us to be able to deal with. Then there's Gina Vaccio from Zola's Restaurant. We like to support those that have dietary needs and uh, don't necessarily put a surcharge or profit from it. We charge what we pay for and um, that might have to change. People are going to have to change how they run their business. That's what Shannon Miller from Miller's Farms was saying as well. There will be changes here for sure, and whether that has to come in the form of reduced hours or, I mean, and the... Don't worry, though. Yasser has a feeling. We feel that, and, and we feel that, and, and we feel that, and... What about you? 521-TALK, 521-8255. Star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. They're boosting the minimum wage. They announced it already. And then in the dead of summer, they decide, okay, let's have public consultations. We'll go around the province and we'll talk to people. But don't worry. Don't worry. It doesn't matter what you say. We've already made our minds up. That's essentially what Yasser Nakvi was saying today because uh, well, we thought about it long and hard, and we struck the right balance. We've, we've put a lot of thought into uh, into this, and we want to make sure that these very important benefits around uh, providing support for our families take place as soon as possible. Now, think about this in light of what I opened the show talking about. I opened the show talking about the radicals that are in the NDP seeking the leadership of the NDP. People like Jagmeet Singh, who's an Ontario MPP for the New Democrats, wants to lead the federal New Democrats. He would be the first Sikh leading a major national party, I believe. I have no problem with that. 
I'd vote for a turban-wearing Sikh as long as he wasn't crazy. But unfortunately, Jagmeet Singh believes in full-on wealth redistribution, which in my view makes him crazy. I believe that right now we have a responsibility to stand up for redistribution. People have wealth. And they need to give that wealth to those. They need to transfer that wealth to those who are living in poverty right now. That's a fundamental principle. Income transfers are very different than social programs. Oh, oh, oh. Let me play that portion for you again. People have wealth and they need to give that wealth to those. They need to transfer that wealth to those who are living in poverty right now. If you have wealth, you have to give it to somebody else. How's that any different from Kathleen Wynne's liberals? Because what Kathleen Wynne's liberals are trying to do is... Out NDP, the NDP, on the provincial level. And at the federal level, the NDP, they're not even running away from the Regina Manifesto. I played the clip for you earlier. Maybe it's too boring to play again. Ah, what the heck? We'll play it again. And then I'll explain to you what the Regina Manifesto is and why it matters. The Regina Manifesto, which was adopted by the founding convention of the Cooperative Commonwealth Federation in 1933, launched the forerunner of the modern NDP. What's one piece of that vision that hasn't yet been realized that you think remains relevant and a priority today? What was in the Regina Manifesto? Well, it called for the nationalization of transportation, communications, electrical power. It called for a plan economy, a national banking system that would be removed from the control of private profit-seeking interests. Yeah, to heck with you getting a mortgage at 2.35%. You will live in a controlled economy and get a mortgage at 8% because that's what the bureaucrat decided. It called for a full removal of capitalism. You know, everyone talks about China, China, and they are still commies. They are. And that's not a good thing because they oppress people. They oppress their ability to have freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of religion, all of that. But they are embracing this weird hybrid state capitalism, and that's the only thing that has been drawing them out of abject poverty. And yet here you've got these four people praising the Regina Manifesto, which I quote from, No CCF government will rest content until it has eradicated capitalism and put into operation the full program of socialized planning, which will lead to the establishment in Canada of the Cooperative Commonwealth. Freaking radicals running the NDP, freaking radicals running the Ontario Liberal Party. And in the meantime, what options do we have? Well, hopefully we've got some better options when the time comes. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. The email address, News at CFRA.com. I'll read to you from a, a quick email that I got when we come back, but we'll also get to your calls. Call now. Lines open.
he's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. The Charter of Rights and Freedoms protects all Canadians, every one of us, even when it is uncomfortable. This is not about the details or merits of the Cotter case. When the government violates any Canadian's charter rights, we all end up paying for it. Do you remember when you were little and you'd be nervous around strangers and you might hide behind your mother's skirt? <coughs> Excuse me. I get the feeling that Justin Trudeau is hiding behind the skirt that is the Charter of Rights because he's throwing it out there as if that's a get-out-of-jail-free card for him paying Omar Khadr $10.5 million. I don't know about you, but I'm still not happy about this, and I can't believe the anger hasn't gone away a week later. Maybe you're in that view. 521-TALK, 521-8255, or... If you want to turn that anger into something good, it's SpearKids.com. Already raised more than $120,000 for them in five days. Last time we did a fundraiser for the Spear family, it was over several weeks. And I think we raised $97,000 and more than half of that or about half of that came in through uh, people mailing in checks because they they didn't want to do online donations. If you don't want to do an online donation, there is at SpearKids.com. Uh, a full snail mail address that you can send checks into. But Perry in Ottawa is calling in about Trudeau's hypocrisy, and I'm guessing it relates to Omar Cotter, Perry. Well, well, yes and no. I'm glad you played that clip because that's exactly what I want to talk about. The hypocrisy of invoking the Constitution when Bill 101 and various language laws in the Prime Minister's home province of Quebec, have been, in court, deemed to be unconstitutional as well. And the Prime Minister, and for that matter, no politicians really, have said anything to protect the oppressed Anglophones in the province of Quebec. And as I said, the charter is, the, uh, the language laws are clearly unconstitutional there as well. And, you and, know, uh, are you a transplanted Quebecer, Perry? Yes, I am, of course. Because there's an awful lot of you in Ottawa. Yes, I where, know. where are you from originally? Montreal. Montreal. I, uh, yes. So, uh, you know, I, I was in Montreal when the they had their municipal mergers. So I'd gone through ours here, and I'd been working actually for the city of Nepean, and it was so unstable that I went into radio. That tells you how unstable it was. <laughs> I, I, I worked at CJD many, many years ago. Okay. I left, I left radio. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, eventually I worked for CJD, but I was working in the witness protection program for a, a station that used to try and compete against CJD. Okay. But I'm down there, and, and I'm trying to get any and, – and in fairness to Justin Trudeau, he wasn't a liberal MP at, at the time. But all these liberal MPs, especially the Quebec ones, would stand and denounce the attempt by Mike Harris to close the Montfort right, and yeah. saying that this was wrong, this was language violation. And they, when they brought in the municipal mergers in Quebec, they changed the law specifically to reduce the number of Anglophones because the old definition of Anglophone, what was your mother tongue or what language do you speak at home – that would allow people – there's a, a well-known constitutional lawyer in Montreal named Julius Gray. Right, yes. 
Julius Gray has fought countless constitutional battles, argued at the Supreme Court countless times. He's a, you know, not quite in the same way as others, but he will stand up for Anglo rights from time to time. And he was deemed a francophone by these new rules, even though he's completely bilingual, but he speaks English at home. Because, well, when he was born, his mother first taught him Polish. So they discounted anyone that had learned a foreign language first and said, well, you can't claim that. And they did that so they could make sure that there weren't bilingual services in most of the city. They they gerrymandered all kinds of things. They changed everything. I could not get a single liberal MP to speak up against that. And when I tried, they would turn on the heel and walk away from me. And he's doing the same thing right now. He is ignoring. He's ignoring exactly what he says he's protecting. And, but what bothers me also is nobody in the national press, nobody in the national media is picking this up and, and writing or, or well, and, and commenting about it whatsoever. Most of them are just on board with this. I mean, how many columns have you seen in favor versus opposed to the deal with Cotter or anything else? Well, I, 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 I haven't seen many in favor of the deal. Well, I have, unfortunately, from uh, Jonathan Kay, who used to run the oh, National really? Post at CBC, yeah. uh, John Moore in the Toronto Star today, actually denouncing me, but not by name. Oh, well, Toronto Star, I mean, that's understandable. Well, yeah, I mean, there's been a bunch. Of, actually, I've been denounced in the Toronto Star twice in the last week. I think that tells me I'm doing something right. Um, but I've, I've seen all kinds of people in, outside of the Sun. I don't think the Sun papers have published a single editorial in favor of this. But outside of that, most of them seem to be on board with this idea. Well, we had to do this. We didn't have. I mean, we didn't have to pay. Maybe we had to had to say that what what was done was wrong, but we didn't have to pay. And we didn't have to pay him ten and a half million. Now, if I may, also, Brian. I mean, along the same lines, the the Catholic funding or the Catholic school funding in the province of Ontario has also been deemed unconstitutional. Uh, no, it hasn't, because it's in the constitution. Uh, <laughs> yes. But didn't the courts rule that 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 it's wrong? Uh, no, no, they they, they never have. I'll tell you what they did rule was wrong. Okay, and then said, but it's okay. Oh, what they did rule was was not funding anybody else. Uh, like, that I'd have to look into. But I did cover a case years ago, and this relates to Quebec language laws. Was that a group of uh, francophone parents wanted English education for their kids? took the language laws in Quebec to court. The Supreme Court ruled, yes, this discriminates against you and your rights, but we agree with it in a fair and democratic society. And their reasoning was purely political. So the Supreme Court can say that your rights are violated. And and I've watched this happen countless times. That doesn't mean you get $10.5 million or we'd all be bankrupt. Well, but the, not- the, the Catholic funding of education is baked into the Constitution. If Ontario wants to get rid of it, they can. But I'll tell you this, uh, my kids go to Catholic school, so I'll admit my bias. It won't save us any money. No, no. Because it didn't save us any money when we merged the cities. Mike Harris's biggest folly was allowing for the merger to happen. Got to run. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Tom in New Hamburg. Tom, you're on Beyond the News. Hello. Hi, you're calling Um, in about the minimum wage. Absolutely. Um, There's a few things I want to say first, though. Um, First of all, I was a businessman in Ottawa for 41 years. Okay. I have a street in Ottawa named after me. And I got to tell you that when 
when I was hiring people, and by the way, I'm retired, so I might sound like an old fart, but anyhow, when I was hiring people in retail, and if they had in their resume that they'd worked at McDonald's or Tim Hortons or one of these places, yep. I took a strong look at them. I've heard that from a lot of business people because there's a because system. they learned, first of all, that they had a job to do. And secondly, if they walked off the job, and i got to tell you, I had that happen many times. No notice, no nothing. And when I was brought up, you took a job and you gave the boss reasonable notice. What I, the I hell has happened to the world today? And now we're saying to people, hey, we're going to give you $15 an hour, and, well, the rules don't change. What kind of business did, did you used to run here in town, Tom? No, I'm not going to tell you that. Okay. Because- <laughs> Well, I just I just asked because I was speaking with one small no, business I owner. I retired and, to New Hamburg, Ontario, to a retirement community, and quite frankly, um, I'm very happy here. The uh, and, and that's down near uh, KW, isn't it? Kitchener Waterloo. Uh, it's halfway between um, Kitchener and Stratford. Okay, a beautiful part of the the province. Uh, I just asked because I was hearing from one small business owner who said, "Look, uh, my buddy runs a." a busy restaurant with a huge patio. And part of the mm-hmm. new thing, not only is it the $15 an hour minimum wage, but now it's you've got to pay them three hours no matter what, even if you cancel the shift. And he said, so I can't schedule anyone for the patio anymore. I'll just have to have people on call because if it's raining when we get up in the morning, <laughs> you got to cancel all those people. You well, know, an outdoor well, job might be well, different here's the, here's the than an indoor and, and, and so now, he, if he schedules them, he's got to pay them for three hours not to work. Here's the problem. The people who are selling these things have never operated a business in their lives, most of them. Now, you might say that uh, that's a claim that's um, not founded, but I got a feeling... Funny feeling that it might not be founded, but if you're going to research it, you're going to find out that's the case. Well, uh, Kathleen Wynn does not run a business. Her wife, Jane, does. And you know what the business is? Getting contracts from government agencies by using her own, you know. (laughs) She's kind of tied into the government, and she's got all these contracts with government agencies. Huh, how does that, that's not a real business. That's called milking the system as far as I'm concerned. Thanks for the call, Tom. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. I love getting those calls from out of town. Make sure you call in now. Lines open, back after this. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. And uh, some of the models suggest to Dr. Maslowski that there is a 75% chance that the 
entire North Polar Ice Cap during summer, during some of the summer months could be completely ice-free within the next five to seven years. <laughs> Sorry, I had to play that again. Al Gore being so wrong. That was 2009. 2009. And what was he predicting? During summer, well, during wait, hold some, on. that the entire North Polar Ice Cap during summer, during some of the summer months, could be completely ice-free within the next five to seven years. Oh, but it's not, is it? It's just, it's just not. That hasn't happened. <sighs> There's a 75% chance that Al Gore is going to be wrong. Remember that as he tweets about the whole issue of this giant calving of the iceberg in Antarctica and says it's about climate change. The actual people studying it say it has nothing to do with climate change. Now, just related to Al Gore, because he stood by him all those years, did you know that we just gave $20 million yesterday to the Clinton Foundation? And by we, I mean all of us. All of us did. So we gave $10.5 million to Omar Khadr. We gave $20 million to the Clinton Foundation. It's all part of our new effort to be one of the world's leading suppliers of condoms and birth control and abortion around the world. We're going to give $20 million to the Clinton Health Access Initiative for sexual and reproductive health rights for adolescent girls and women in Nigeria. The Clinton Health Access Initiative. I had actually thought that the Clinton Foundation was winding down. It appears I may have been mistaken, so I'm going to have to do some research on this because Canada just gave them $20 million. We also got gave $15 million to Marie Stopes to do the same kind of program in Tanzania. Marie Stopes, if you're not familiar with it, it is the Planned Parenthood of Europe. Uh, Planned Parenthood in America is the largest supplier of abortion, Marie Stopes is the same sort of thing in Europe. This is what we're funding, folks. Yay. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Dave in Ottawa, you're calling in about the NDP candidates. Give me your money now. Yeah, but you just made me so depressed with those uh, 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 fundings we've just done. I was not I was only feeling a little bit bad. Now I feel terrible. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm here for you, Dave. I'm, I'm here to lift you up at night. And then clip your wings and make you crash down to the, the, the ground. Okay. Um, before I get into that, the, the iceberg thing, uh, of course it happens all the time. It's been happening since the age-old thing. I'm listening to the news. That I heard a couple of interviews with specialists about that, and the specialist said, yes, it was global warming. But nobody asked them, is it man-made global warming or is it a natural occurrence? Are we going through some cycle? Is it the sunspots? Well, is it the whatever? But, nobody but the, questioned it. The actual scientists who are studying this say we have no evidence that it's related to climate change. Ask the people at the ti- on the Titanic about that. <sighs> you know, it's... Well, you're from Newfoundland. Yeah. Did, did you hear about the guy out in Newfoundland that cli- uh, swam out and climbed up on the iceberg? Well, that's, he's not the first one to do that. Silly bugger. He's not, he's not the first silly bugger. <laughs> and Man. I've seen some beautiful icebergs. There have been some beauties. There have been icebergs that have blocked shipping to the harbor in St. John's. I believe it. Anyway, let's get back to the topic at hand. The NDP candidates, they want your money and they want it now. I'm going to call each and every one of them out for hypocrisy. Okay. Because I'm going to ask, uh, what's his name? They're running for the leadership. I forget his name, not that it matters much because he's never going to amount to much anyway. But 
Would he, if he gets to be prime minister, earning 180000 or 240000 whatever he is, would he calve off a significant portion <laughs> of his money so that some guy on the street can live as well as he does? You know, uh, socialists believe in government programs, not in actually having, um, well, donations. I challenge every one of them. When it comes to property rights, I challenge Trudeau. Would he allow people to come in and say, well, you don't really have any rights to all that property you own that your grandfather earned in the old business. You really don't have any right to that. So, you know. Well, I'd love someone to say that to Trudeau because you know where his, gran- where his money came from, his grandfather's oil business. Yeah. Now, he's so anti-oil. It doesn't, it's, it's so, and, of course, now, of course, we're the post-national society we're supposed to be living in. That's post-national. I mean, we're going to reduce ourselves to the lowest common denominator. Mark Stein had a great piece on our the the first post-national national birthday celebration about the Canada 150. And Mark lives close enough to the Canada-U.S. border that he gets all the Canadian TV stations, so he gets to watch this. And he's also in and out of Canada. You know, he spent yeah. a lot of time here. He was born here. He partially grew up here, and he's in and out all the time. So he knows, you know, he knows the country well, but he had a great piece writing about this, you know, Canada 150 thing that was about celebrating who knows what because we're we're not really a nation anymore. Uh, forget a nation once again. We're just not a nation at all. Mm-hmm. We're not going to have that. No, we're the, we're the post-nation state, as you say, Dave. Yeah, I'm just so sick of it all. Listen, I said it before, but I've never said it to you or on publicly on the radio. I don't have a whole lot of time left on this world. Like, I'm not 22 years old anymore. This, by the time I'm, I'm getting ready to just got to check out of here, this world's going to be one sad, sorry place, and I won't miss it at all. Well, uh, I hope you've got many more years left to you, Dave. Many happy returns. Take outside. care. Take All care, the Brian. best. 521 Talk, 521 Star 580 in Bell Mobility, or 1 800 580 CFRA. Michelle in Ottawa is calling in about the iceberg. Yeah, but wait a minute here. Hold on, Dave. You might not miss us, but I'll sure as hell miss listening to you. <laughs> you don't worry. Um, Dave's got plenty of time left. Good. Glad to hear it. Um, yeah, no, I, I, are you sure? Are you sure that they're just calving those icebergs? Because I keep having a vision and it, it's so strong. And I see Mr. Um, Suzuki and Hillary and Bell and Al, and they're all down there with ice picks, whacking away, screaming mean things to each other. <laughs> I love that. That's what I think. And you know what else I think? I think that Putin interfered in our election is what I think. I think he was so PO'd that our PM Harper snubbed him, wouldn't sit with him at the table. I think that they all got together and and made us suffer. And we sure are, boy, oh, boy, with this guy. What a twist. Well, you know, Michelle, I'm glad you bring that up because I've actually exposed American interference in in our election and nobody in the Canadian media cares. They're more interested in Russian interference in the U.S. election because they get to bash Donald Trump. And let's face it, these emails from Donald Jr. do not help Don at all. I'm going to stand up for him. If you go back to when those emails came in. He's a rookie. He's a kid. They weren't politicians. He's he's not not, he's not a kid. Okay, but nobody, they weren't politicians, Brian, and no one, nobody on earth, not even them, 
believe that they had a chance of winning this thing. So if you look at it, Mr. Trump has actually made a huge sacrifice because he could be doing anything he wanted and living much better and much freer than he is now instead of being publicly humiliated, and, insulted, and dragged across and the And I agree every with day. you on that. And do you know what? What's the difference between collusion and gossip? If I was in the kid's position and I got a tantalizing email like that, I would want to go just because, I, well, I give us something to talk about for the next year because they really didn't believe they were going to be in power. So, you know, yeah, it's stupid. It doesn't make them look good, but let's not forget but here. It's the also- goal of the left and even the even the yeah. Republicans is to to get this outsider and, and punish him. Make him wear the scarlet letter for, come, how dare you come in? We've been doing this forever. Okay. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And the fact of the matter is, the media's been after him, the Democrats, the establishment in both parties have been after him from the beginning, but they don't do themselves any favor when all of them, including Don Jr., go out there and laugh at the idea... The, oh, no, no, no. Just talk to Russians. Oh, no, never, never. Oh, blah, blah. This is crazy. And Donald Jr. said, I don't know if you've seen the clip that he did with Jake Tapper about three weeks, four weeks after this. Yeah, I know. And, and he, he says, oh, these are just lies. They'll say anything to get elected. Well, yeah. I'm sorry. Now we're looking at you and saying you'll say anything to get elected. It's not good. And, no, it, it is. It doesn't make and, them look good. But, and but we let's we not we can't we can't we can't accept on our side the the Clinton the Clinton esque type slyness. I just I agree with if you. I didn't accept it with Bill Clinton, I, how can I accept it here? Now listen. What about though? Let's not forget last year at this time. The Democrats weren't even willing to utter the words radical Islam, and ISIS is what almost wiped out now. You think that's a coincidence? I don't think so. And one more thing, and yep. as far as the um, the minimum wage, I spoke to somebody. We have a friend today who was telling us that uh, they're in the restaurant business, and he's estimating six thousand a year. Now, as far as entry level costs, uh, we run a different kind of a business, and so you know, fifteen dollars an hour would would have been like a starting wage, but. But what would happen there now is, you know, you've got to bump up that. It's, it's the wage compression becomes a whole issue. And they're just, they're insane if they think that small business can continue to pay the taxes they pay, occur the headache and stress and put themselves out there. I mean, a restaurant business to, to, to become successful it's very hard in the beginning, yeah. especially if you're paying all your bills and, and you know, your taxes. And oh, I, I, I've worked for restaurants that didn't pay their bills. Michelle, I, I worked for one restaurant where I learned quickly. Uh, this is the days, you know, to, when was it? Mid, early 90s. Let's put it that way. And there was a bank in the plaza of the restaurant that I worked at. And this guy had trouble paying his bills. Everybody had a bank account open in the bank in that plaza, and they would show up early to get their paycheck and race there because if your paycheck was cleared before the last guy in, your paycheck was good. Yeah. Uh, And that's sad, and that's the way a lot of businesses have to run because they're they're struggling just to to make it a goal. One more thing. I heard from one city councilor about the minimum wage. This could cost the city two to three million dollars. And that's before 
I've been told, and I'd love somebody from QP503 to call in and let me know whether, and and if you're the president of QP503, you don't want to go on air, just let me know one way or the other. I've been told they have an escalator clause in there that in their contract, that's the main union for city employees, that if the minimum wage goes up, everybody's wages go up. If that's the case, that two to $3 million figure that I told you of what this will cost the city, just crank that up. It's unbelievable. Like, it's it's just unbelievable that, you know, if you've ever run a small business, I don't know. I do right now. I think, <laughs> and wait till, wait till the United States, if it ever gets, you know, takes off, it's, it's going to be, we're going to be have a couple of lean years here where things I, are going to tailspin. I agree. Anyway, one more thing. Yep. Uh, I donated to the Spears on Friday night. It's an excellent, uh, excellent fund. I hope it makes its goal and I hope it's able to happen before the 30 days. And also uh, wilderness tours. Brian, if you get a chance, go up with the whole family. We used to do it when the kids are small and we'd stay in the cabin there yeah. and uh, you can do that. They have a family rafting. We took a, my mother-in-law up and she was in her 70s and she couldn't swim and we had a ball that day okay. and it was so much fun and then we did it I, again with the kids they've got we camped one time and if you're you might want to check out where your site is because if you're close to the cabin they got a band and dancing all night it's hard to sleep in the tent when everybody's partying but it's really well that that's one of the brochures that i found downstairs so i will check it out thanks for the call michelle got to run Thank to you. an ad block okay bye all right i'm brian Lilly. this is beyond the news back with more calls your thoughts after this You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. It really is great to see the uh, the number keep climbing for SpearKids.com. If you haven't given yet and you can... I keep saying whether you can give $10 or 10000 it all adds up, and you know what your financial situation is. There are some people listening now that could drop 10000 and not break a sweat, and others that could say 10 bucks. Okay, it's a bit much, but I'll, I'll drop that in. $10 or 10000 you know what you can give. Spearkids.com, we're over $121,000 now. Let's show these folks that not everyone's on board with Omar Cotter's campaign, or Omar Cotter getting $10.5 million dollars. Uh, Stefan's calling in about the NDP candidates. Uh, Stefan, um, do you have money? Because if you do, uh, Jagmeet Singh wants it. Yeah, you know what? I you know, I got another word for wealth distribution. What's it's that? Called, it's called theft. Because that's what it really is. It's, a, it's taking money out of your pockets by force, without no say, to give it to somebody else that didn't earn it. Well, if if I came up to you and told you to give me your money so that I could give it to someone down the street, I would be charged with theft. That's right. But the government does it. It's called oh, it's wealth redistribution. Yeah. The hell you say? Yeah. But I think this is really how this is going to work is that they can take money out of the pockets of people who work hard. And first it's going to go through the bureaucrats and all the civil servants to get their loyalty. And what's left of the breadcrumbs is going to go to some of the people that might need it. Okay, so, Stefan, you're calling in for Rus- from Russell. That's right. Let's. Uh, Russell's not a tiny village, but it's a small town. That's right. Let's say that you knew that there was a family that was on really hard times for whatever reason in Russell. 
you guys in Russell could get together and say, all right, let's have a dance, let's have a fundraiser, let's have a pancake breakfast, whatever, raise money for them. Yeah, and, choice. and all that money, just like with this Spear Kids thing that I'm doing, all that money would go to the family. That's right. Uh, it wouldn't, as you say, get filtered through the bureaucrats and you know, well-paid bureaucrats and who knows how much they're making and how much they're taking of that money. And then a check gets sent off to the family in Russell, and they don't have nearly as much money as the bureaucrat living in Orleans does. Yeah, that's my point. Uh, unreal. It, it's infuriating, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, this whole thing with the, the, the socialism versus capitalism, capitalism is way better because you get to choose how you spend your money and you get to uh, negotiate with other people in exchange for goods. Yeah. And that's what capitalism is all about. Why they want a stranger to take money for, by force, uh, you, you know, where you have no choice, or you go to jail, or you, they kill you, whichever they want to do. The government has no money that it does not first take from other people. That's right. Everyone's got to remember that. Exactly. All right. Thanks for the call, Stefan. You're welcome. Let's go to Gloria in Ottawa. Gloria? Hi, Brian. Hi. Hi. Listen, I've been listening to different programs in CFRA recently talking about Cotter, and they're saying that he was tortured, okay, which he wasn't, and they're saying he was raped. It was only the threat of that, and, you know. Um, uh, I haven't even heard that he had the threat of rape. Yeah, and now and now they're saying it's it's rape and well his, he his, he was not tortured he was enhanced interrogation yes but not torture what, you know, what does I, enhanced mean well it's um I'd have to pull up Michael Ignatieff's uh where so it's more than just asking questions Michael Ignatieff in two thousand four and you remember him esteemed scholar yeah. academic journalist turned yeah. liberal leader yeah and Michael Ignatieff was. He was frustrating to me as liberal leader because he was an interesting guy. I didn't always agree with him before he went into politics. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I would hear what he had to say and I would agree with him. And sometimes he'd make me scream and bang my head against the wall. <laughs> and, then, and then he went into politics and wouldn't say anything. And I kept saying, hey, wait, didn't you used to be that interesting guy? And mm-hmm. he, he wrote extensively and he said that the sleep deprivation that the Americans used at Gitmo was not torture. He well, studied it, it. At, when he was at the Harvard School, the Kennedy School at Harvard. He studied it and said, this is not torture. This is enhanced interrogation. It's above just asking questions. But And he also included putting hoods on people to disorient them as being completely acceptable. Uh, but, mm. you know, this idea that we are... The Supreme Court never said it was torture, Gloria. No, exactly. And I wanted to see. I wanted to get the truth from you because it, all these ridiculous things are are are, are saying uh, people are saying that happened to him, and they didn't. Well, and, and other other folks are saying the Supreme Court said we had to pay him. They didn't. No, they didn't. Yeah. yeah so ex- exactly. You, you, facts matter in this case. Well. Uh, of course, and and uh, the, you know when you hear the, the, these these false uh, claims being bandied about on programs that you're listening to, you think to yourself, "What the heck is the truth?" One says this, one says that, and I thought, "Well, I'm going to get the exact truth, the actual truth from you because you've been sta- stating the uh, opposite of of what they've they've been saying, well, and be- vice versa." Because I I um I, and I don't know what you're listening to, and 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 I'm not going to criticize any. Of the other hosts on the station no, not now, not I, ever. No, but but what I will say 
is that I was there for the 2008 Cotter Supreme Court decision. I was there for the 2010 Supreme Court Cotter decision. I've read them both. Uh, I, I reread the, the 2010 decision recently. Uh, I looked for the word terrorism. I did a control F so that, you know, if my eyes missed it, mm-hmm. it, it is not in their actual decision there was one person that appeared before the Supreme Court that said it was torture. The Supreme Court did not agree with that. So the word uh, torture does appear once. But again, that is in relation to testimony, not in relation to um, uh, their verdict. So they didn't say it was torture. What verdict did they give that they say happened to Okay, him? so in – okay, we're very tight on time. Let me yes. give this quickly. Omar Cotter, the 2010 case was not about him suing the government for money. The 2010 case was him saying the Canadian government needs to bring me home. The rights violation was that after the enhanced interrogation, the sleep deprivation, Mm -hmm. Canadian officials spoke to Omar Cotter and then shared what they learned with the American officials. They weren't hard on him. They didn't beat him. No. They didn't do anything of the sort. They asked him questions. That information was then shared with the Americans, and that is the essence of the rights violation. That is not worth $10.5 million, not today, not ever. Uh, The Supreme Court found that his rights had been violated but did not offer up a remedy. All they said was because Cotter had asked that – said, my rights have been violated. They have to bring me home, and they said, your rights have been violated, but we as the Supreme Court cannot order the federal government – on how they must interact with another foreign government. That's executive prerogative. It's up to them. Oh, That's you're it. kidding. Up to, so it was up to them. Yeah. So uh, anybody saying we had to do this yep. doesn't know what they're talking about. Got to leave it there, Gloria. Thanks for the call. Back at it again tomorrow. It has been a blast. And uh, again, regular time tomorrow, 7 to 10. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors. Remember, I'm on your side. 